Welcome to Motorcycle Vagabond Diaries. Today we're going to have a really interesting guest, Carmel Rubin, and she's going to tell us about her life on the road, which is different than other people that have been on the show. So start off with what do you ride, Carmel? Right now I'm on my O2 Triumph Tiger 955i. What else have you ridden? When I started out, I was on an 06 KLX 250. So there's a big difference between a little bike and a big adventure bike. It's kind of like comparing apples to oranges, but would you go back to the little bike or are you really enjoying the larger bike? That's a really difficult question. It's a different type of ride on the big bike. Riding solo, I'm much more leery having dropped the bike more than once. It's a lot harder to get up by myself, um, but I have the range and the distance, and it's like an old friend. I have a lot of miles on this bike, so I'm enjoying being back on the Tiger. Do you still have the little bike? I do. I started out on the little bike uh, about 49,000 miles into the ride, decided that I needed the big adventure bike because I wanted to head across Canada and up to Alaska and I needed the range even though the KLX has a trail tank on it I just needed to get more than 180 miles on a tank of fuel did the bike save you from running out of gas oh oh absolutely there are places where I've ridden 230 to 250 miles between fuel stops where have you ridden? Where have I ridden on this trip? I have ridden all of the lower 48. I've ridden three Mexican states and every Canadian province and up to Alaska. What do you mean I by this trip? I've overseas, but on my bikes, North America. What do you mean by this trip? So I left Maine in September of 2016 on a ride that I dubbed my thin line ride, as in there's a thin line between doing something stupid and doing something brave. <laughs> I wasn't sure which one quitting my career in my 50s was to ride for a year, and somehow a year has morphed into five. I mean, that's one way to say it. I usually say there's not much difference between being stupid and being courageous depending on who you ask well you know if someone runs into a burning building and everything turns out well oh they were so brave and if someone runs into a burning building and burns to death they're like oh they were so stupid so i wasn't sure which one this was going to be and the further <laughs> down the line you go the thinner the line gets so you hit the road in september of 16 so like four years and some months yes how long did you prepare for it before you hit the road? I gave my notice in November of 2015 because on December 1st of 2015, my work plan for all of 2016 was due and I had to explain why it only went through August. So I thought about it for a few months from August until November, and then November I gave my notice, and I thought, all right, big shot, you said it out loud, now you gotta make it happen. And that entire December, I woke up 
every night, full-blown panic attack and night sweats. Oh, my God, what have I done? I've just committed career suicide. How am I going to make this happen? What am I going to bring? I didn't have that much solo riding experience. What happens if I break down? Because the joke was the tool I used to use most often was my credit card to fix my motorcycle. So I just decided that I planned as well as I could. I prepared as well as I could. And then on September 16th, which was the first full moon in September of 2016, I got on my bike and I rode away. Was that a significant date for you, being a full moon? Uh, it, it, it has turned into a significant event for me because after being on the road for six, eight months, I just had this shift in perspective. And when I would meet people, they would say to me, how long have you been on the road? And rather than answering in weeks or months or now years, I tend to answer in the number of full moons. It's just, Oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah, it's indicative to me about the changes I've gone through on the road. And when I left, initially, it was only going to be a 14-month trip. And I remember my dad, who is now 96, telling me at the time, you know, they're not going to want to hire somebody who has a year gap on their resume. And I said, you know, I don't want my job back when I come back. I'm going to come back a different person. So you already had some idea of you were going to change. Did you, did you change in the way you expected to? Oh, even more so. The, the empowerment and independence and self-esteem and self-assurance have skyrocketed absolutely so when you got on the road you said you hadn't had much experience riding what was your experience how long had you been riding and so i've been a street rider since about 1979 and i have been riding with essentially the same riding partner since then and we'd go and camp and take one week rides and two week rides and three week rides and four week rides together And I noticed one time that he was posting some pictures of motorcycle camping. And I said to him, I said, you and Matt, his son, go motorcycle camping all the time. But the pictures from your trips and the pictures from our trips look so different. Why is that? And he said, because you don't ride off road. And I said, well, let's change that. So I've only been riding off road since 2012. That's longer than me. I only started a couple years ago. And the reason why I got on off-road riding was because that's where the cool camping ends up being exactly so and that was my point they were camping on these beautiful ocean vistas but he said yeah you know if you want to camp in up in Cape Breton at Meat Cove it's a dirt road going in there you need to be comfortable riding on dirt so I bought the KLX and took a couple classes and started putting on the miles so what originally spurned the idea to do a 14-month ride? Well, I had always ridden with my friend Greg, and at some point I got this wild idea that I wanted to take a 5,000-mile solo ride. I'd gone through a pretty catastrophic breakup, and I just wanted to be on the road by myself, and so I rode from Maine to Colorado for a rally called Westfest. And that was 5,000 miles, 2,500 miles each way. And five days out, four days in Colorado, five days back. 
and I discovered that I really loved riding alone. And my friend Greg had always done all of the heavy lifting and a lot of the cooking, all of the route planning. Um, if I got in trouble and I dropped my bike, he'd help me pick it up. And so it was restating my independence after being in a long-term relationship that had come to an end. And I have, I'm friends with a group of women that I'd met online and they said, oh, come with us. We're riding in the Himalayas, lay to Ladakh. And I said, oh, great, when? And they said, the first two weeks in August. And I said, I can't, I've made this commitment to myself to take the solo ride. But next year, wherever you go, I'm gonna go with you. And so I rode out to Colorado on my first big solo ride. They rode the Himalayas. We both got back about the same time. And I said, okay, where are you all going next year? And they said, Madagascar. Ooh. Said, well, how long a ride is that gonna be? And they said three weeks. And I thought, okay, well, from the East Coast, the best way for me to get in and out of Madagascar is through South Africa. And I really want to see South Africa first because I recognized there was a pretty good chance I might get hurt riding off-road in Madagascar since I was the least, uh, least experienced off-road rider. So I did some research and I thought, okay, to do South Africa the way I want to do it is going to be four weeks and then three weeks in Madagascar. That's seven weeks. Problem was, I only had six weeks of vacation at work. And I'd been saving money for a couple years to redo the kitchen in a house that at that point I had owned for 15 years, entertained hundreds of times, cooked thousands of meals in my kitchen. And I thought, well, you know, I've always been someone who would who said I'd rather do something than have something and for that amount of money I could probably quit my job rent the house for a year and ride and so the trip to Madagascar was sort of the impetus for me to so that was in August when they announced they were going to Madagascar I thought about it for a few weeks and then at the end of November I decided that I wanted to leave in September and work my way down the East Coast and then fly from Atlanta to Cape Town, spend the time. So to time it to be in Madagascar for the October-November ride, I had to leave in September. So I was going to leave at the very end of August and then some friends of mine asked me to officiate at their wedding in the state of Maine. If you are a notary, you can solemnize marriages. and. Ronnie Stewart is a professional motocross racer, number 606 on the, on the Monster Energy motocross circuit. And he and Brooke asked me to officiate, and they were getting married on September 17th. So September 16th was my last day of work. I officiated at their marriage on the 17th and left the state on the 18th. That's awesome. So it's all Tiffany Coates' fault. <laughs> calling her out huh yep she she decided she had spent three months uh riding in madagascar and just really loved it and wanted to do this ride that she called mapless in madagascar so there were two american women two australian women and six british women so three continents women from three continents met on a fourth for a three-week ride did you have a good time 
it was amazing. It was really, I'm really glad I did it, but Madagascar is a hard place to visit. It really tugs at your heartstrings. Most Malagasy earn on average about $2 a day. So there's a lot of poverty. Yeah, I've seen that. And you see it on TV and it's not nearly as heart-wrenching as when you see it in person. Yeah, and a lot, about 90% of the country has been deforested. There's slash and burn agriculture and then people have to burn to create charcoal for cooking fuel. And so it was really fascinating to spend time and see some of the lemur species and chameleons in their native environments before they go extinct. Was that your first country outside of the States or had you done other international traveling? Internationally. Nope. I visited Australia and New Zealand and spent a lot of time in the South Pacific and Southeast Asia. I've ridden in Thailand. Yeah. Nope. I'm well-traveled. So you're well-traveled before you hit the road. I was. So that was, that was not something that was foreign to me. I'm a, I discover, I describe it as I'm a recovering sailor. So the joke is I've given up helm time for helmet time. So navigating and planning and making do and keeping an eye on the weather all come naturally to me. That's actually really interesting. I would like to do a boat trip one day myself. So I I had always said I'm either going to sail around the world by myself or I'm going to ride around the world by myself. And I'm on a $3,500 motorcycle on a budget of about $30 a day as opposed to on a $300,000 sailboat with a budget of $300 a day. Wow, that's a lot more expensive. Yep. And so it's really interesting. You know, my, my parents lived aboard for 10 years. I grew up sailing and living aboard with my parents. And I asked people who do both sail and motorcycle which one do you think is inherently more dangerous and I was really surprised that my parents said sailing so I said okay motorcycle it is (laughs) well that's an interesting way to choose well I my personal opinion is that sailing is much safer because you can sleep and you have everything you need with you so I was interested that they all thought that sailing was that was right after the movie Captain Phillips came out however mm. it had something to do with it well I mean if something goes wrong while you're out sailing it's possible you could drown or never be found whereas on a motorcycle maybe a higher chance of being found depending on how remote you went I guess well I, I ride with a spot so I have a tracking device that ostensibly should be able to help me if I were to get in trouble. Have you ever had to use it? I have never had to use it. Have you tried any other services? No, but I I met someone once who told me that she didn't like Spot because she'd push the SOS button twice when she ran out of fuel and they yelled at her. And my thought was, well, your inability to manage your fuel does not constitute an emergency in anyone's book. <laughs> That's fair. It's it's a little harsh, but it's, I agree. Yeah, no. 
That's your own fault for not planning. And running out of gas isn't the worst thing to happen. Someone will come by with gas eventually. No, my my bike has. It did leave me stranded once, but in the best possible place ever. So I was really fortunate. Where was that? What happened? Well, I... So my plan for this ride has been there is no plan. This is the type of ride where the weather forecast and the road conditions and who I meet along the way dictate where I go, what I do, what I see, and how long I stay. And by absolute happenstance, I was riding through Colorado and went to a GS, a Colorado GS Girls event, which was a fundraiser to send one of the women to the Western Qualifier for the GS Trophy in California. And I said, well, I'm going to be in Southern California about that time. You're not going to know anybody there. Can I meet you there and, and, and help you out? And that's how I got to Rawhide, which is the BMW Off-Road Riding Academy. I volunteered during that event and got to know the owners and have been doing a lot of freelance work for them ever since. And so I had been, I had spent the summer there a year ago for a few months and when to leave the day I went to leave my bike wouldn't start and so i just asked jim hyde i said hey you know can we can i borrow a truck and a trailer and 15 miles down the road there was a motorcycle shop with a former triumph tech so the starter had gone oh okay yeah that is a good place to break down Yep, so if it had been Barstow or the middle of nowhere, it would have been, you know, a really expensive tow, and this was a, essentially a free tow. You know, you say Mother Nature, who you meet, and everything that comes along the way dictates your plan, and I don't know anyone on the road who's been on for a long time that doesn't say the same thing. And it it's hard for most people to grasp that we don't have a plan. It is really just, oh, that sounds cool. Yeah, I'll go do that now. Or, you know, I think I'm going to head west, and then you look at the radar, oh, the west looks kind of wet, I'm go- I'll go east. And part of that is is being a sailor. You know, in the, I'm a sailboat sailor. You can't guarantee that you're going to be somewhere on a certain date. It depends upon what the winds and the tides are like and what the weather is. And so I'm very open to, I want to go where it's dry and warm. My goal was, when I left, was 70 degree days and 50 degree nights and then it became 80 degree days and 60 degree nights (laughs) as I got soft and I liked riding in warm dry weather yeah I'm probably I'm, I'm there with you I'm a very fair weather vagabond and it's kind of funny that we always get reputations for being badasses who ride through everything and I'm like no I've got time. I'll wait this out. Yeah, if I have to be somewhere or I'm riding and there's a sudden squall and it just dumps on me, I'm prepared. But if the forecast is three days of rain, I've got a Kindle and I'll just hole up in my tent and be happy reading. Yeah, I feel you. So what did you do for work before you hit the road? Most recently, I was the manager of communications for the state of Maine judicial branch. So I was the court communications manager. So I did access uh, ADA requirements and and requests for accommodations. I did all of the internet and intranet. I was responsible for all of the forms 
and directions for completing forms for court processes. So I herded paper. I mean, I herded cats and pushed paper. <laughs> and so when I announced that I was leaving, the Chief Justice said to me, and you have to understand that at the time, her idea with camping was anything that didn't have a Starbucks in the lobby. And she kept mm-hmm. on saying, so where are you going to sleep and why are you doing this and what's appealing about this to you? And I said, Chief, I can try to explain this until I'm blue in the face, but you're never going to understand. No, I mean, there's lots of people out there that no matter how you try to explain it, they'll never grasp why you would take the risk or um, be uncomfortable. And I, I had taken a four week ride with my friend, Greg, he and I left Maine and, did a huge trip to Baja and then back up through California, New Mexico. And he said to me, when I came, when I came back, my folks said to me, so I hope you got that out of your system. And I said, no, if anything, it made it worse. The one time I stalled my bike was when we were in Albuquerque and we had to turn around and head east. I just didn't want to stop. And it's the difference between going on a vacation and traveling. When you go on vacation, you have an itinerary and a set schedule. And when you're traveling, you just go. And I just really wanted to travel and just slow down. And if you had asked people six years ago, who is the least likely person to quit her job, throw caution to the wind and hop on her motorcycle and just ride off into the sunset. And so many people would have said me. And it was just about letting go of preconceived notions about who I am and what's important and what I wanted. And did you find out who you are and what you wanted? Well, I returned to my roots. And yes, I am, you know, I very much know who I am and what I want and what's important and connections. And at a time when I really needed my faith restored in humanity, this epic adventure has done that. The random acts of kindness from total and complete strangers is absolutely overwhelming. You know, so you some, women, you. some women push a shopping cart and you, you can tell they're homeless. I, anybody who has run into me on the road and sees my motorcycle fully loaded, it's obvious I'm living on my motorcycle. And people say things like, you know, oh, you must be rich. And I say, no, I'm doing this on about 30 bucks a day on average. And people want to open their wallet and give you $30 and fund a day. And it's just overwhelming. It really is. It's amazing how many times people will just buy your meal or hand you cash because I guess you're living the dream. They won't, can't, have it. That's exactly the point. So for the first year and a half, people would say, oh, let me, and I'd say, no, no, absolutely not. I'm doing this because I planned for it and I can afford it and, and I'm, I'm doing it. And about 18 months into it, I met someone and she said to me, you know, by saying no, you were denying me an opportunity to participate in something I can only dream about. And I hadn't thought about it like that. And so you accept gifts now. I, on occasion, will allow someone to buy groceries um, or help me out like that, yes. And now I have 
I don't know how it's happened. It's just sort of happened. I have some sponsorship. And so um, Senna gave me a comm unit and a really nice weatherproof jacket and a rally jersey. And Moscow Moto has sent me three different sets of Reckless 80s, the first version, second version, and now I'm on the third version, the revolver version. Um, Climb has given me riding gear. Very cool. You've been able to figure out how to do what most people wish they could figure out how to do. And I'm not even going to lie, I've never been sponsored. <laughs> it, it doesn't pay anything, but I get gear and I get to have some input into product development. And I'm a brand ambassador because people ask me all the time, oh, so you're wearing this gear, you're using this luggage, what do you think about a comm unit? And so it's a conversation piece and I'm out there, I, when I'm moving, I'm out there talking to a lot of adventure riders. And so the first 14 months, I was, because it had a limited duration, I was going to, every night I was camping somewhere new. I was on the move every day. And so I left in September. Unfortunately, I had awful tenants in my house in Maine, and they moved out in February. So March, April, May, I had to pay my mortgage, my electricity, my heating fuel, my plow guy. June, May, late May, I was in Moab. A friend of mine from New Hampshire was out there with a sprinter van and his dirt bike, and we were gonna we rode together for a little bit, and then I said, you know what? I've kind of burned through my budget having to pay my mortgage and all my house bills, so I'm gonna hitch a ride back to New England with you. And so I had hired somebody, and they had repaired all the damage in the house, and I w walked into the house in June, and I took a deep breath, and I thought. Nope, not sure what this is that I'm doing, but it's pretty obvious I'm not done with it yet. And what are the chances of getting two crappy sets of tenants in a row? I thought the chances were probably pretty slim. So when I left, I owned a VW diesel car and VW wasn't ready to sell it, wasn't ready to buy it back when I left. But the following summer they were so I sold my VW back to VW, and that funded the second year on the road. So the nice. second year on the road was a little more leisurely. I didn't feel I had to move every day, and so I did a lot more of spoken wheel. I would camp somewhere for 5 to 15 days and then take day trips out and come back to my campsite. And then the third year, I picked up a lot more freelance work, and so was would stay a place for two or three months at a time and then move on. And so now, you changed a lot in your four years of how you but, travel. I did. Every year has been different. And now with COVID, I um, have decided to accept a live-in position here in Colorado in elder health care. So it's ultra safe. I'm in a very small, a three-person, three-resident elder living facility with weekly COVID tests and actually we've, we're scheduled to get our vaccines coming up, but all the food and groceries and supplies are delivered to the house. You don't really have to leave. So this is, I've ridden maybe 2000 miles since September when I started the job here. 
Wow. Yep. How's that been for a change for you? Do you miss writing? Well, I work Monday through Thursday, 7.30 a.m. to 4.30 p.m., and then I monitor overnight two nights during the week. And it's kind of nice to have a kitchen again. I love to bake and cook, and so this is a great, doesn't even feel like work to me, a great opportunity. I have a furnished apartment, so it's been, it's been great. And since I've been on the road, all of my mail has come to Colorado because my best friend lives in Colorado. So that's why I decided to come here with COVID. I was staying with them and then decided I needed to look for a live-in position and found this one. Well, that works out very well. It does. And I still do freelance work for Rawhide. I do a lot of writing. Um, I've met some adventure writers who also happen to be attorneys in Reno, Nevada, and I do a lot of work for them, mostly writing and editing. I just wrote some radio ad scripts for them. They hired me to do that. So the type of work that you can do from the road. Uh, you are definitely a poster child of envy for a lot of people who are on the road. Well, everyone has their own way to make it work. And I, I, like I said, I didn't have a plan. And I just really believed that if I were open and receptive, that things would come my way. And they absolutely have. You know, I believe in the same thing, that when you need something, it'll be there. And I tell it to a lot of people that I truly believe the universe will put me where I need to be when I need to be there. And if you haven't felt it, it's hard to explain it to someone. It is. I. It was a huge leap of faith for me just to let go of personal possessions and worries about finance and what I was going to do and just do it. And once you do it, you realize that it's not such a big deal, but that's something that's difficult to articulate to someone. And I talk to a lot of people who are planning or would like to or are about to take off on a trip. And I say, you know, this is my experience, but everyone's experience is different. And I had read for years on Adventure Rider on ADVRider.com about people who are six, seven, eight, nine years on the road. And I think, oh, they must be trust funders. How do you afford to make it that long without really working? And it just works out. It always just works out or you wouldn't be here to tell a story. It's just, I've made it work. I wasn't ready to sell my house and get rid of everything, but I have, now I have no car. I sold my car, um, but I still have a house. I'm really fortunate. I have wonderful tenants who are in there now. They've been there for three years, but I have a house to go back to. And people in my town where I own my house, they say, you know, are you ever coming back? And I say, I don't know. I mean, I wanted to take a ride like this now because I know that there are only seven days in a week and someday isn't one of them. And I have friends who had worked and then got ready to retire and something catastrophic happened to a parent or a child or a sibling or themselves. And I just, 
I didn't know how much longer I wanted to sleep on the ground and live in a tent. But I'm so thankful that I did it because now with COVID, things have really changed. So if I had waited until I was 55, which I am now, I wouldn't be able to do it. Right. So you do a lot of camping. What's your portion of free camping to paid camping to hostel hotel use? Zero hostel hotel use. Nearly never paid camping. Because uh, my, average budget, my, own heart. my average budget is $30 a day. That's food, fuel, tires, bike maintenance. So there's no room for a $40 a night KOA in there. Right. So, I mean, hostels in other countries can be a couple bucks a night sometimes, but. Yep. So in Madagascar, we did have um, hotel arrangements as a group, and we stayed in some really nice places. So that didn't count. <laughs> but on average, yeah. No, uh, I use free camping, freecampsites.net, and I used tent space the first year which is a thread on ADV Rider where other riders open their either home or literally a place in the backyard for you to pitch a tent. And that usually includes a meal, an opportunity to do laundry, and a hot shower. So maybe once or twice a month I would do that for laundry and for shower. But no, I did not stay in campgrounds. Very nice. So I don't know if you know, but I run Bunker Biker, which is like tent space, except for just a separate entity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm working with the guy who runs tent space to help build it up. He said I can advertise Bunker Biker on there because it's kind of hard to keep it active. The really great thing about tent space is there's a Google map layer that you can use. So you can see where you are, where you want to ride. And then a day or two before I contact somebody and say, I think I'm going to be nearby in two or three days are you hosting and then if they said yes i would say you know where's the closest place for me to get to stop to go shopping to get what i need for dinner and then sometimes it would they would tell me the name of a store or they would say oh no join us for dinner very nice so what kind of camping gear do you carry are you a high-end low-end tent hammock no, I'm a tent camper. I Coming from Maine, I have worked seasonally at L.L. Bean, so I spent a lot of time at the employee store at L.L. Bean over the last 20 years and have quite a collection. So I have an L.L. Bean down sleeping bag that's rated to 35 degrees, but it spends so much time being compressed in the stuff sack on the bike that it's probably now only good to about 55 degrees. <laughs> I have a three-season L.L. Bean Mountain Light 2 tent. I don't use a footprint on the tent. I use a piece of Tyvek as my ground cloth because it crumples up really small and it is still waterproof. I have an inflatable pillow. I have um, an isobutane backpacking, very small stove. And then I have an even smaller backup stove because I don't ever want to be able, I don't want to miss the opportunity to have hot water for oatmeal or hot water to put in my water bottle to use as a hot water bottle overnight. So I always make sure that I have an extra isobutane canister and that I have a backup stove. 
And How much I clothes do you carry? And I have a, sort of a soup mug, like travel mug, that is my plate, bowl, coffee mug, everything all together. And I was talking to someone once, and they said, you mean you can't drink your coffee and have your oatmeal at the same time? And I said, nope, I use the same vessel for both. <laughs> I'm sure you've got it down to a fine art of how you cook things, though. Oh, yeah. Yep. And I do. So, I, I cook breakfast, so it's usually oatmeal. Or if I'm somewhere that is, I've been able to get eggs, I get eggs and crack them into Ziploc baggies so that they're, I don't have to worry about the shells cracking. And then I either cook eggs. So I'm really aware of my protein intake, so I want to eat a fairly high-protein diet. So I'll eat breakfast, and then on the road I'll have a second breakfast. I'll have a power bar or peanut butter and a piece of fruit, peanut butter and apples, peanut butter and celery, peanut butter and carrots or something. And then usually don't eat lunch. And then wherever I'm going to be camping, I try to pick up some vegetables and some sort of protein source and then do a stir fry for dinner. Ah, stir fries, they're my favorite. Yep, and if I'm, when I was in Alaska, I did a lot of canned stuff, and if I'm in bear country, then I cooked uh, canned goods, and then if I could have an open fire, then I would burn the cans in the fire and then carry out all my garbage the next day. I fully support Leave No Trace. Yep. And, you know, that's, people ask me about my, my biggest concerns, and frankly, my biggest concerns were riding in bear country. I was about to ask you, what kind of dangers have you encountered? You know, people, animals, wrecks? I've been really fortunate. I have a very vivid imagination, so I am really sure that I heard a bear one night. <laughs> um, I had a really interesting, really cool wolf encounter in Yellowstone. What was that like? Uh, so I spent uh, about a week in Yellowstone, but I would ride out of the park every night because the park campgrounds are really expensive. So I would ride out and I was in West Yellowstone and rode out and camped just up a gravel road and just pulled over and tented. And I was, as I was falling asleep, I could hear the coyotes in the distance. And then I fell asleep, and it was a full moon. And I had this dream that I was home, and I had a dog, and the dog was sniffing my pillow. And I opened my eyes, and I could see a wolf right outside my tent with a full moon. And so I sat up. And I grabbed my camera, and I turned my camera on in my sleeping bag so it was quiet. And then I unzipped the tent to take a picture outside, and the zipper noise, and it ran away. So I had a wolf sniffing my tent. That's pretty cool. It was amazing. Have you ever had any issues with people? I... I haven't had, like I said, I have a vivid imagination. I was camping in Florida, in around Ocala, Florida, and I was in a state park, and it was raining, and I rode in, and it was about 17 miles in on this sort of sandy road, 
and I rode all the way in, and there was this campground that looked abandoned, and people out there hunt with dogs, and there were all these trailers that were covered in tarps, and there was a homemade trailer with dog kennels in it, and it had dog bowls and dog food, but nobody was around. And I pulled in, and I pitched my tent, and I covered my bike, and I made dinner and called into my tent and ate dinner because it was drizzly, and by 8 o'clock, I was sound asleep. And at one point, I woke up because I saw headlights, and a vehicle had come in the campground, did two loops around the campground, stopped. I heard car door or vehicle doors opening and closing, and it was 2.30 in the morning. I looked at my phone, and it was 2.30. And then I listened, and there was nothing. And then I eventually fell back asleep, and then I heard the vehicle start and leave, and I looked at my phone again, and it was 4.30 in the morning. So I don't know if they were cooking meth. I have no idea what they were doing there. But as soon as it got light, I packed up in the pouring rain, got on my bike, and rode out of there. Wow. I've had a couple experiences like that, too. The most unfortunate thing that happened to me happened to me in Colorado Springs, and that was someone stole all of the tools off my motorcycle. Ow, what assholes. And this was, I was parked, my bike was on the street, across the street from my best friend's house in a very safe neighborhood, I had come, and I was using them as a base, coming and going and riding, and it was Labor Day weekend, and so my bike had been parked there for maybe four or five days in a row, and I had taken everything off my bike, but my tools are in tool bags on my upper crash bars, and they just zip. They're just waterproof bags with a zipper on them, and I got up to walk their dog, and I thought, why are all the straps on my Moscow bags loose? And I walked over and I, they were in, my tools were in three little zipper bags in these tool bags. And so I made it easy for them. They unzipped it, stuck their hands in and grabbed those three bags and took every last tool. So sad because they were emblematic of my independence. They were tools that When I left on this trip, I didn't necessarily know how to use on the bike, and I've met people along the way, and some of them were specialized tools just for this bike that were gifts from people I've met along the way who have helped me, taught me how to do a valve adjustment or rebuild the front forks, and so it was really sad. I filed a police report, but this was such a safe neighborhood that... No one had security cameras or one of those doorbells that takes pictures. So I have no idea who it was or what, but every last tool is gone. Man, that's a bummer. I'm pretty attached to my toolkit as well, changing it over the years and, you know, improving it and things that have been gifted to me. Yeah, and you know that you when you when the tools you carry when you're on a r- ride like this, I had every tool I needed to take the bike all the way down and nothing that I didn't need. And so to try to remember and replace. And so 
the writing community has been amazing. When word got out about it, um, people have stepped up and gifted me used tools, and they went through to see what they had duplicates. And then I was missing a multimeter, a little rocket ratchet light kit, which is this little teeny ratchet kit with that I have I had used so often. You know, the joke was when I'm somewhere, somebody needs a tool. The girl on the bike who lives on her bike has whatever it is anybody needed. And I had won that for traveling the furthest on that big solo ride because I'd gone 5,000 miles round trip to this rally. That was my award. And so I was so sad about that. And then a T-handle three-way wrench. And so those were the last three things I was missing. And a rider from Indiana bought me brand new ones and mailed them to me. Oh, people are awesome. People are awesome. So that sort of helped make up for the a-holes who ripped off my bike. I'm going to have to look into that rocket ratchet. Is that by Topeak? It is, exactly. I, I Googled it. I, I'm kind of in love and I kind of want to set now. Yep. So they're, they're I mean, they're th- I think it's $35. Yeah, they're not bad. Amazon's nope. got them on sale I, right now for I, like 32 I use it so often. It is amazing. It's just a little mini ratchet with all of the tips you could use. There's a Torx and a Phillips head and a Allen and yep. That's really, really cool. Fun. It's amazing that when you do amazing things, people do amazing things for you. So one of my favorite story about the most, one of the most amazing things that's happened to me on this trip was I was on Instagram one day and I came across a, I don't know how on Instagram it just popped up. It was Firehawk Design. And they have these beautiful silver wrist cuffs of mountains and full moons. And so I wrote to the guy and I said, oh, you know, your jewelry is just so beautiful. And I'm on this epic adventure where full moons are really meaningful to me. And I just wanted to say I I really love what you're doing. And he wrote back to me and he said, well, do you have a, a, a mountain range that speaks to you? And someone had just taken a photograph of the supermoon rising over Mount Katahdin in Maine, which is the terminus of the Appalachian Trail up in Baxter State Park in Maine. And so I sent him this picture of this beautiful super full moon over Mount Katahdin. And then... I don't know, maybe a month or so later, he said, do you have an address? And I said, well, all my mail goes to Colorado. And so I sent him the address. And then this was two summers ago. And when I showed up in Colorado two summers ago, my friend said, you know, so you have this package. And I don't know, I didn't recognize the return address. And I looked at the return address and I didn't recognize it. And I opened it and in it was this, bracelet which I am showing you is my video on you yes I can see it so it's this beautiful silver three ounce 
wrist cuff with this beautiful rose gold moon. And that's the full moon rising over Mount Katahdin. And this guy sent me, and so I wrote to him immediately. I said, obviously, I owe you something for this incredible heavy piece of custom jewelry. And he said, no, your story just spoke to me, and I wanted you to have it. That is really cool. So I wear it all the time, and I absolutely love it. So what's been your favorite country so far? Oh, I really love Southeast Asia. I just, I love Thailand. So the first time I went there, it was going to be for six weeks. And I thought, oh, you know, I'll spend some time in Thailand and I'll go to Laos and Cambodia and Vietnam. I just love Thailand so much. I never left. Do you tend to go back there one day? Oh, I would love to go back. Absolutely. Just the food and the culture and, you know, it's riding in Thailand in the cities can seem a little chaotic because there might be seven lanes painted on the road, but you never know if three are going in one way or five and two. And it's just, there's no road range. There's, there's no, there's very little personal space, but it's very calm and very zen. And I love riding and you smell the garbage burning and then you smell the jasmine and the incense from all the watts and the roadside barbecues. And there's just something really magical about Thailand for me. So separate from Thailand, do you have a favorite road? Oh, <laughs> Um, when I first started riding off-road, my friend Greg used to, he, I told him, he, he t coined the term asphalt orgasm. We'd be riding off-road and we would come back onto hard pavement again and I would be so happy I'd practically have an orgasm. And I realized at some point, you know, at, when you take rides, you have... For a while, it was my favorite road signs and the weirdest billboards. And then I realized one day that my favorite sign was pavement ends. And that, that was a real aha moment for me that I had come a long way as a rider when I welcomed the end of the asphalt and the beginning of the gravel. So I don't know if I have a favorite road dirt uh i like hard pack gravel yeah i mean i have least favorite substrates i definitely wet bentonite is my least favorite substrate at the moment followed by deep gravel <laughs> but, uh, how about sand how does sand rank there um i'm learning to be more comfortable on sand with that back end all loose and the front end all wobbly and just standing up and leaning back and having at it. Hmm. So what's your st statistics? How many miles, states, countries have you done on the bike in the last four years? Uh, well, I've done 49 states, all the Canadian provinces, three Mexican states, South Africa, 
and Madagascar on this ride. So Southeast Asia and Australia and New Zealand were on different rides. So I would have to, I haven't added them up. Um, it was 49,000 miles on the little bike and it's the, probably about the same on this bike. So I would say just over 100,000 miles in North America. Nice. Do you intend to stay on that bike or are you looking at a new one soon? I am not. This bike does not owe me anything. And so as long as, you know, people had said to me, oh, you know, especially doing so much work for BMW and BMW Motorrad. And he said, why don't you buy a new BMW? Because I don't have $25,000 burning a hole in my pocket. I, I am happy on this bike that I bought in 2012 for $3,200. That's all that matters is that you're still having a good time on it. I am having, you know, and I had forgotten how much I missed it when I was on the little bike. And I went to my house and I dropped off my little bike and put it up on a stand, on a bike stand, and plugged it into a battery tender and pushed the starter on my Tiger. And I had forgotten how much I loved the sound of that triple. So my bike's name is Margarita, and she is lime green, just sort of a really ugly bike. And I describe it as hideously ugly but obscenely fun to ride. I've met other people who love triples, and when you love a triple, there's nothing that replaces a triple. Yeah, it's just that, and I, it was like being reunited with a friend that you hadn't seen for years, but we hadn't skipped a beat, and I couldn't believe how quickly I went from that little seat concept, hard KLX seat, back to a big adventure bike, and then two years ago... I splurged and had Rocky at Bill Meyer Saddles build me a custom seat for it. And he said to me, he said, well, you know, how do you like your seat? And I said, I don't have anything to compare it to. It's fine. And he said, you have what we call a factory ass. But my factory ass has gotten pretty comfy on a custom, custom seat now. And I worry. <laughs> You know, the bike was at that point 16 years old. Do I really want to invest that kind of money in a, in a custom seat? How many more miles am I going to have on this bike? Well, totally worth it. Absolutely. Being comfortable is important. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I had, you know, when I, I remember looking at, for the adventure bike that I ended up buying, I I felt like Goldilocks. I, I rode a... V-Strom and it was too clunky and then I rode a BMW and I thought that was too expensive and then I was on the Multistrad and I thought that was too fast and then I rode an 01 Tiger in the pouring rain it was March it was a cold miserable day and I just could not wipe the smile off my face and that bike had some issues but I decided I was going to look for about that year Tiger and I found one in Vermont and so I rode over to Vermont two up with my friend Greg. And within the first three miles, I was reminded why I got my motorcycle endorsement. I'm an awful passenger. And we got to Vermont and I thought, I'm going to buy this bike no matter what, just so I don't have to ride two up 250 miles back to Maine. <laughs> but 
I love it. I absolutely adore this bike. I'm like that with my 350, and no one can seem to understand why I love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I get a lot of ribbing working for the BMW Off-Road Riding Academy on a Tiger, but I don't care. The first time I pulled in there, I said, where should I park my bike? And somebody looked out the window, and they said, it's green. How about down by the dumpster? Ouch. <laughs> but that's okay. I got back at that guy later on. He was washing bikes. And Jim Hyde said to me, do you want your bike washed? And I said, sure. He said, bring it up here. Gary will wash it for you. And I thought, ha, I have a bike, bitch. I was pretty <laughs> I even, I even, I have a picture of him washing my bike, which someday I will hold over his head. That's awesome. So when you ride, what do you plan to see on your routes? Like, what is your favorite things to go do and whatnot? So I love the weird Americana stuff. So I like the weird roadside attractions, the world's largest ball of twine, that type of thing. And so I try to do those. I try to research wherever I am. You know, in Louisiana, I wanted to see where Bonnie and Clyde were shot down and just the bizarre sort of fascinates me. I'm with you. I like that stuff as well. And I can't say I've done a lot of it, but it's become more on my radar lately. Mm-hmm. Yep, the weird art. I like big metal sculptures. I like the kinetic sculptures, the ones that move in the wind. So I like that. And I like pie. I like to bake pie, and I like to eat pie. <laughs> so I have been known to see a photograph on Facebook and then comment, Oh, I've eaten pie there. That's Lynn's in Cambria, California, or that's the Mile High Meringue Place in Illinois. So I really like pie. So sometimes I will splurge and I try to visit the best pie place in every state that I ride. So, of course, I have to ride through Pie Town, New Mexico. <laughs> that is so awesome. So Pi Day is a very special, you know, March 14th is a very special day for me. <laughs> Don't disturb her. She's having her pie today. Exactly. <laughs> yep. So what's been the greatest psychological toll being on the road for you? Well, the place where I live, my own my house, is a very small community, really tight. And I have recognized, even though I Skype and call and Zoom and email and they follow me on Facebook and Instagram, that, you know, marriages have happened and others have dissolved and parents have passed away and babies have been born, that I'm not just missing from my community, I'm gone. And that's been really hard because I have this wonderful riding community, but it tends to be more of a virtual community. And so I have really missed those human connections. So working right now in elder care, it's like I'm getting that all back. So it's been incredibly rewarding being here in this position. But I'm a very tactile person, so being away from all of that, it's it's difficult. 
It sounds like you found some ways to deal with it and help with your mood, though. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, uh, I met a Canadian and traveled with him for six months. And that was really nice until he broke my heart in Alaska. But um, I have always been an introvert. And so I recognize that I recharge my batteries by being alone. So I can go 10 days and not talk to anyone. And I'm fine with that. Oh, I feel you. Most of the people that I hang out with the same way. We're like, really love hanging out. Really need to be by myself now. Bye. Yep. And when you're like that, you, I, it never upsets me when someone's like, I need me time. I'm like, you rock on with your bad self. Have fun. Yep. Exactly. So how do you feel like you've changed since you've started? I mean, you just talked about, you know, your old community has pretty much moved on without you. But what about, like when you meet people on the road and how your how your conversations go these days? Well, I was a very tightly wound type A. So I was more concerned with the destination and now it's just all about the journey. So I don't, I guess I was aware recently when I met somebody we were talking for 30 minutes and they said to me, are you going to ask me what I do? And I said, it doesn't really matter. And that's a question that I probably would have said pretty early on in a conversation with somebody that I just met. So, you know, what sort of line, what line of work are you in and what do you do? And now that's not anything that I even think about. I mean, that's a good thing. What someone does to make money isn't necessarily something that defines who they are. Absolutely not. So I feel like that's a very big change for me. And letting go of concerns about money issues. I was always concerned about saving, which is partly how I got to be able to do this. So I'm, I'm in a really, you know, fortunate position, but I recognized when I left that I was going to take a year off and then have to come back and look for another job. But I think I recognize now that I'm done with a traditional corporate job. I don't think I'm ever really going to get back into it. So I, I have to fit in the office now last and my folks are in their mid nineties. So my money has to last another 40 years. Yeah, I don't think you'd fit into the office anymore. Well, and my my dad said, you know, no one's going to want to hire somebody that has a big gap on their resume. And I said, I don't want to work for anybody that doesn't understand why I needed to do this. And as it turns out, I'm now the money that I am making for the most part is coming in through the adventure writing industry. So is there anything that you ever get tired about with the road life? Not yet. <laughs> Not yet. There is nothing I would want to change. Maybe having done it earlier, but I, I wasn't ready earlier. How long do you continue seeing yourself on a motorcycle, and what will you do after it? I don't know. I... 
I have to decide what do I want to do with my house? Do I want to sell my house? My problem with my house is I don't own it yet, so it still has a mortgage. So if I go back, if I go back, I need to get a real job to pay a real mortgage. It's much less expensive to stay on the road when my tenants are covering my mortgage for me. So I don't make money on my house. My tenants cover my mortgage, my taxes and insurance, and then there's a little bit each month that goes into a maintenance fund. Um, but I don't know. That's a really good question. I am not thinking long-term right now. I'm going to stay here in Boulder through the winter, through the snow season. When the weather gets nice, we'll see what's happening with COVID. I'm in a very fortunate position where I will be one of the first ones in Boulder County to get a vaccine because of my work in the live-in elder care facility. But come spring, I don't know. A lot of it depends upon my tenants. If they want to stay, their lease is up at the end of August. If they want to renew, I would just assume stay out on the road. Well, there you go. So we talked about why you originally got on the road and became a vagabond. Is the reason why you're doing it now changed? Uh, I think so. I think I, I did it initially because I wanted to experience it. I wanted to take an extended ride. And I guess I thought maybe after 14 months I'd be tired of it. And it became very obvious that I wasn't tired of it. And I'm not tired of it. I don't know. I think now it's just, it's become my lifestyle. It's become so easy and, and carefree. There's ve there are very little, there's very little to worry about. You know, the three things when I'm moving I think about are, okay, am I going to ride today? Where am I going to ride? And what do I want to have for dinner? And that's it. I think that's a hard concept for people to grasp because it would seem like our lifestyle is a little bit more dangerous and a little bit more difficult than the one you would have sitting at home and going to a nine to five. Well, I try to, uh, I have a very strong self-preservation gene and I have nothing to prove and no ego. And that's one of the reasons why I like to ride alone. I am neither slowing the pace nor setting the pace for anyone else. And I know that I'm a morning person. So by two o'clock in the afternoon, I tend to get tired and I'm not as focused. So I never ride anything technical after two o'clock. And there's some days where at three o'clock, I'm ready to quit for the day. And there's some days I just wake up and I think, yeah, I'm not feeling it. I'm not feeling 100%. My concentration's there. I just whip out my camp chair and get out my Kindle and set up my solar charger and read all day. Those are some of the best days, though. They are. And, you know, I love being somewhere and having somebody come by in a Jeep or a side-by-side -side and look at me and say, how the heck did you get here? And I say, on that motorcycle. And they say, no, you didn't. And then I say, you're right, I was dropped in here by helicopter. <laughs> How else? <laughs> That's a good response. Yeah, I, and changing people's perception, you know, 
there are often times when I come out of the grocery store, somebody is standing around looking at my motorcycle. So my top case and my bike, every hard surface is covered with stickers from all over. And so people look at it. And more than several times I come out and usually they're guys and they look at me and they say, well, you're not what I expected. And so I push the point until I get them to actually say I wasn't expecting a woman. And then I say to them, why not? And they say, I don't know. And I said, okay, I hope I just changed your perception. That's really awesome, though, changing, opening people's minds one at a time. Yes. Why, why wouldn't it be a woman? Well, I don't know. I guess I just never thought about it. I just presumed you were going to be a man. I'm like, really? Because it says Alaska princess on it. You think a guy's going to put a princess sticker on his bike? I mean, I don't judge. Yeah, so <laughs> it it that's been that's been kind of fun. Do you ever get tired of being asked a certain question over and over? Like, is there any frequent questions you get tired of answering? I guess the one question that I am tired of asked being answered or being asked and having to answer is, why don't you ride with a firearm? That's fair, because you can't take it across the border. Well, yeah. Exactly. You know, I Maine, I'm a Maine resident. I have a concealed firearms permit for the state of Maine, but Maine does not have reciprocity with any other state. And I don't ever want to get into a situation where I need one. I have street smarts. I'd like to think that my diplomatic skills and my situational awareness would keep me out of any situation where I would need one. I mean, the best situation is one that you avoided. Yes. The the summer I was in Alaska, you I I cut back and forth. So I went to Maine. I was in Ontario. Cut down through into I guess New York, up to Maine. From Maine, I went up to Montreal, across into Canada, then down through Windsor. I was cutting back and forth. So and then when you get all the way west you cross back and forth between the Yukon and Alaska and then in and out of Hyder and back and forth so I was had 15 or 20 Canadian US crossings and the Canadians would always ask me are you riding alone yes do you have a firearm no why not because they think every American carries a gun are you sure yes I'm very sure would you like to take my bike apart and look for one? But I, I couldn't believe how often I've been asked that question. Kind of strange. I've never had the Canadians ask me if I had a firearm, but coming back into the States, I always get asked. And yeah. I'm like, why would I go to Canada to buy a firearm? I can buy one. I'm Oklahoma and we can buy them from each other. Yeah. No. So I did carry bear spray in Alaska, though. I take it you never had to use it? Never had to use it. Nope. Saw lots of bears. One day, I think my, my high was 19 on the Alcan Highway. Saw 19 bears. It took me two years to see my first bear on the road. Oh, really? Where did you see one? Uh, Jasper National Park. Oh, yep. Yep, and I'd been through Yellowstone and Shenandoah oh, and wow. all over through Montana and Wyoming and had never seen a bear until I got up there. Wow. 
I, I, I call myself natural bear repellent. Because <laughs> it seems like no matter what, I rarely see them, and it took me a long time to see any of them. No, I was really, really careful. I had one dry bag that food went into. Never even kept power bars, anything on my bike. I have power bars in my fanny pack and my hydration pack, but those went into the food bag at night and got strung up in a tree. See, that's just making good choices and understanding the area that you're in. Oh, yeah. Yep. I, you know, I, I would hear noises at night and I'd wonder, oh, is that a bear playing piñata with my food bag? <laughs> I mean, if the worst thing is, is the bear steals your food bag, you're doing pretty good. Yep. No. I mean, I just, you know, being a sailor and knowing about redundancies and safety and personal safety and weather safety, um, you know, I carry spare keys. I I try to do everything I can as safely as possible. I, I'm an at-gat rider. Even if I am just moving my bike 10 or 15 feet, helmet is on and latched, boots are on and buckled. Um, I wear off-road boots. Yeah, I just, I try to be as smart and safe as possible. So do you have any advice for anyone who may want to start this type of lifestyle? Just do it. You will figure it out along the way. It is a leap of faith and you have to trust yourself. I mean, that's as simple as it gets. You won't know until you try if you like doing it or not. I mean, I had done, and I, I, I would recommend one-week rides, two-week rides, three-week rides, four-week rides. Make sure that you have the gear, that you're comfortable. Um, and then, of course, you know, pack what you need and then unpack everything and take half of it away and then you're ready to go. <laughs> and then you'll fo probably find things a year later that you were like, why have I been carrying this for a year? I've never used it. I can't believe the clothes I have accumulated, the things that people have given me. Unbelievable. I, I just, I would periodically have to stop and send, ship a box back east or to here to Colorado. And so I ship quite a few things here to Colorado, not knowing that I was going to end up overwintering here, but I'm really glad I have certain things here now. But it, it's just stuff. It is just stuff. It is. I've kept a lot of my stuff that was gifts and souvenirs which by the way do you actually collect souvenirs of any kind i tend to collect stickers hmm. and some stickers are so sacred that someday they will go on the beer refrigerator in the garage when i'm off the road because i've had really cool stickers on windscreens and my little klx every time i dump my klx i broke my windscreen <laughs> So I lost a lot of really special stickers. So the really good ones now go in an envelope and get mailed and they're somewhere safe. Nice. Yeah, I usually take all the things that were gifts that I can't use and I collect random seashells and sometimes rocks or I, I do charms and other various little things and I'll mail them back and one day it'll make a very nice wall piece. Yeah, exactly. No, I have a I have quite a clothing collection. <laughs> I have an awful lot of clothes that say BMW on them for someone who doesn't and has never owned a BMW. Yeah, but 
it makes my heart joyous to see someone riding a bike and wearing clothes that aren't the type of their bike. Yep. I have, I've made, I'm so thankful for my riding family. They have been so supportive and so caring and they get it. They absolutely understand what it's like to have tools stolen or to have a bike break down. So I've definitely made lifelong friends. I don't know if you feel the same way, but connections on the road are quick and lasting. I was just going to say, they might be quick, but they are definitely lasting. You meet someone, you're like, we're going to be friends forever, and we will meet each other on any continent that we may share. Exactly. Yep, I have made... A number of those and we recently had a zoom reunion of all 10 of us from the Madagascar ride <clears throat> and we're on zoom and you know it's pretty difficult because we got people in the UK people in Australia I'm here in mountain time and then the other American was on eastern time zone and uh, so it was three o'clock three o'clock for me five o'clock for her and then 9 a.m. and 9 p.m. in Australia and the UK and so we're talking, and at one point I just reached over and I picked up my helmet and I put my helmet on. And a couple other women reached over and they all put their helmets on. So we had a Zoom reunion in our houses, but with our helmets on. That's cool. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I haven't seen them for four plus years now. So is yeah. there anything you'd like to, anything else you'd like to say for the audience? Just do it. If it's something you want to do, don't. Don't postpone it, because tomorrow is not guaranteed. So I will ask you for your social media links. Are you open for people to message you and ask questions? And I am. Advice? There's a public Facebook page called Thin Line Ride, and I'm on Instagram, Thin Line Ride, one word. Well, there you go. I mean, that makes it real easy. It does. So I have a brand. I have a a decal and I give away stickers to people that I meet and I stick them everywhere I've been. That's awesome. It's been really great chatting with you. Thank you so much, Z. It's been fun. I think it's about time to say goodbye for now, but I would, I will hopefully catch up with you again and I'll see you on the road. I sure hope so. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye.